Pints with Jack, Season 4, Episode 42. The Screwtape Letters. Letter 21. I want it now. Welcome everyone. Pints with Jack is your weekly C.S. Lewis podcast, where Matt, Andrew and I break down and discuss the works of C.S. Lewis. This season, we're eavesdropping on the correspondence of a senior demon, Screwtape, as he explains how to tempt the patient, a human assigned to be tempted by Screwtape's nephew, Wormwood. Each week, we'll be considering a different letter, untwisting Screwtape's hellish logic, and forming a battle plan for our own spiritual lives. And for my co-host today, we have a returning guest to the show, Sister Natalia from What God Is Not. Welcome. Thanks, it's good to be here. Now, Sister the last time you were on the show, your final vows had been postponed because of COVID. Is that still the case? It is. Yeah, I still haven't made my life profession. So we still don't have any idea of when the official date will be for buy a nun a beer day. <laughs> yeah, I had, I had forgotten that we had decided that the date of my life profession would become that day. We need to make this happen soon. So keep me posted. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, if you recall, the word of the week when Sister Natalia was on the show was dearth. <laughs> and we certainly don't have a dearth of guests today. In fact, we have two. <laughs> when we were setting up this episode, Sister Natalia asked if she could bring a friend along. So, Sister, please introduce our second guest co-host. Absolutely. So, when you asked me to do this podcast, this particular episode, I was thinking that I, I wanted to have another nun on the podcast with me. And one of the nuns in our community happens to very much love C.S. Lewis. And she and I have had many conversations about this particular topic in this particular letter. So I have with me a fellow nun, Sister Petra. Hello. Hello, Sister. How long have you been with the monastery? Um, yeah, four years. Excellent. Welcome. Well, in today's episode, Screwtape speaks about possessiveness, possessiveness of things, possessiveness of people, of time. And when I was sketching out this season, I thought that it would be really good to get a monastic, uh, a monk or a nun, as a guest co-host on this episode, since monasticism is marked by things such as poverty, chastity, obedience, and all sorts of things that would really make Screwtape mad. <laughs> and it was in an episode a couple of months ago, sister, on What God Is Not, that you spoke about this very letter. So I took that as a sign and immediately reached out. Yeah, I was really glad that you did so. It's a topic that's often on my heart. And the reason I talked about it on, on my podcast is because when people ask the question of, it's one of the common questions is, what's your favorite thing about being a nun? And what's the hardest thing about being a nun? Mm -hmm. And and the hardest thing for me about being a nun, and the the answer that I always give, that I've given for years is, it's poverty, but it's not for me. It's it's not poverty as you would expect. Like material poverty isn't isn't much of a struggle for me because I just like not out of any sort of virtue, but out of that's not where my struggles lie. What is a struggle for me is poverty of time. Like I don't have I don't have quote unquote my time like I used to before I was a nun. I can't just drop everything and go have a cup of coffee with a friend just because they invited me or something like that. And so so this letter about um, about possessiveness has always struck me for that reason. Yeah, it's absolutely the hardest thing, which is like when a discerner comes and they live for three to six weeks with, with us, like that's one of the main things that they're learning is like your life and your time 
are not your own. And so even like you can't go pick up your friend's life or enter into the tragedy of those you love just because the desire's there, like everything's sort of rendered up. And that's what's really touched on here. Mm -hmm. Well, this is actually my favorite slash least favorite letter of Screwtape, because <laughs> what he's describing here, let's just say I recognize it. <laughs> least favorite is in convicting and you have to run to the confessional. <laughs> Very much. But let's uh, get through the housekeeping so we can get to the letter itself. So first of all is the song of the week. Now, I was very tempted to choose a song by an artist who I really can't stand, and that's Pitbull. And the candidate was his song, Give Me Everything. It's, it's that amazing one where he rhymes Kodak with Kodak. So on that basis alone, I disqualified him. Uh, I really wanted to make Matt happy by choosing a Taylor Swift song. And for a moment, I thought I had it. But then my wife told me that the song is You Belong With Me, not You Belong To Me, which is a real shame. <laughs> in the end, the song of the week I went with is a song which is sung by Veruca Salt in the movie Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Her song is I Want It Now, which perfectly sums up the possessive attitude that Screwtape wants us to foster. Here are some of the lyrics. I want a party with roomfuls of laughter, 10,000 tons of ice cream, and if I don't get the things I am after, I'm going to scream. <laughs> it's great because we all have an inner Veruca. <laughs> she would make Screwtape very happy. Next up, we've got the quote of the week, which is from today's letter. Screwtape says, Men are not angered by mere misfortune, but misfortune conceived as injury. And the sense of injury depends on the feeling that a legitimate claim has been denied. The more claims on life, therefore, that your patient can be induced to make, the more often he will feel injured and, as a result, ill-tempered. Next up, we have the drink of the week, and at the time of recording, Lent hasn't quite started yet, or as we call it in the Eastern Church, the Great Fast. So are you ladies drinking anything interesting? Sister Petra? I'm drinking Limoncello LaCroix, which is not super interesting unless you're me, but I'm drinking it out of the lovely Pints with Jack glass. Wow, <laughs> that will make it taste at least 20% better. It's science. It, it proves that. Maybe you'll actually taste the flavor of the LaCroix. <laughs> and then um, I am drinking, well, I wanted, I wanted a beer tonight as we're approaching the fast in a few days. Um, I couldn't find any good beer in the fridge that I particularly like, but I did find one um, that's okay. And it's a bumbleberry honey blueberry ear, honey blueberry ale. I'm not really about fruit in my beer typically, <laughs> but I'm drinking it. But I'm also drinking it out of a Pines with Jack glass. And I do realize it's a Glen Karen glass, but I wanted to drink out of it for the show. It's okay. Our glasses are versatile. <laughs> it's one of the things that we focused on when we were designing them. <laughs> well, I'm drinking The Pupil from Society Brewery. Thanks to listener Jonathan Rolland, or maybe it's Roland. I should have really should have checked that first. I'm going to say Rolland. Contact me if I got that wrong. Uh, he was the one that wrote to me with this suggestion. He's a, a local listener. And here are the tasting notes, which I pulled off the website. The Pupil is a smooth, medium-bodied, pleasantly dry IPA with forward aromas and flavor evocative of tropical fruit. And since we don't have any gold-level supporters to toast today, I thought we could just toast all of the ladies at Christ the Bridegroom Monastery. So if you'll please raise your glasses. All right. May you be poor, chaste, obedient, and always joyful. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. And amen. So, on to letter 21. 
which was first published in The Guardian on the 19th of September 1941, and here is my 100-word summary. While inflicting the patient with sexual temptations, Screwtape recommends also working on the patient's irritability. To this end, the patient must always conceive inconvenience as injury. When he is denied something he wants, he must feel like he is owed it. He must regard everything as his own personal possession, even time. Screwtape warns Wormwood not to try and offer arguments for this, because there aren't any. Nothing a human has is ever truly his, even his own body. In the end, everything will belong either to God or to the devil. Okay, so let's kick off this letter. And Screwtape begins today by affirming that it's a good idea for Wormwood to work on his patient's peevishness. Uh, is that, do Americans normally talk about peevishness? It's something that I think is being very English. Oh, no, that's, that's for sure a thing. It's not a like super common thing unless you read British lit, but we know what it means. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Well, anyway, Screwtape says that he's going to work on his patient's peevishness, his irritability, alongside a period of sexual temptation. And Screwtape says it can even be the main attack as long as the patient thinks it's a subordinate one. However, Screwtape says that Worm's assault should first be prepared by a darkening of the patient's intellect. But simply, he's got to make the patient really stupid and accept a completely untenable position. And here we come to the quote of the week, which I quoted a few moments ago. Men are not angered by mere misfortune, but by misfortune conceived as injury. And the sense of injury depends on the feeling that a legitimate claim has been denied. So it's not simply that something bad has happened to the patient, but that he feels like he's been denied something that he's owed. Mm. And it's because of this, Screwtape says, the more claims on life, therefore, that your patient can be induced to make, the more often he will feel injured and, as a result, ill-tempered. Mm. Sisters, what do you make of this? Um, well, I actually, I, I had a comment on even the part that you shared before that of the, the darkening of the intellect. I think that it's really, really brilliant to point out because there's, similarly to how there's power in naming something, um, right? Like like God gave, dom gave dominion to Adam over the animals by allowing him to name um, there's also a great power that comes when we're able to name what the devil is doing and when we're able to shed light on what he's doing. And when we remain in that darkness, there's a, there's a powerlessness there. Um, and he loses some of that power when we recognize, uh, when we recognize and name him and his works. Um, because so anyways, I just thought, I thought that was really brilliant. I mean, screw tape is in a, a very creepy and evil way. He's quite brilliant, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> of, of this will work well on the patient as long as the patient thinks it's the subordinate thing, as long as the patient is included to what's happening. And that's, that's what he's getting at in the quote of the week. That's what's continued on the patient can't know in screw tape's mind, the patient shouldn't know um, the reality of what's happening, he, happening, he needs to have this misconstrued perception of it. Like he, he needs to think that, that he's being injured when actually he's just participating in reality. <laughs> it made me think the whole thing about miscon like misfortune conceived as injury. Um, we have a lot of illness in the monastery and so 
one of the enemy's main attacks, like, let's just make this person really irritable. But what makes us bitter in illness? It's the idea that we somehow have a right to health as though our body and our health isn't a gift that we receive it however God gives it in trust of his glory. So it's easy to come to a monastery and be like, oh, well, I, I don't struggle with the entitlement plague of our generation. Like, well, no, we do. <laughs> but it's not that we want things from people. It's that we're expecting from God that he approach us on our terms. Um, we want to trust him for an outcome that we're going to um, expect from him rather than just him and this blind trust. And I think that can be really fostered the more self-focused we are. I can't help but think of the movie Bruce Almighty when Bruce is stuck in a traffic jam and he's you know crying out to heaven. He says, why does this have to happen to me? And as he's saying this, some guy's being wheeled past on a gurney to be put in an ambulance because he was one of the guys that was in this accident. And here's Bruce just infuriated that all these bad things are happening to him. Mm. Now, Screwtape goes on to explain that this misfortune conceived as injury also applies to time. He writes, Now you will have noticed that nothing throws him into a passion so easily as to find a tract of time which he reckoned on having at his own disposal unexpectedly taken from him. It is the unexpected visitor when he looked forward to a quiet evening, or the friend's talkative wife turning up when he was looking forward to a tete-a-tete, a private conversation with the friend. Last year, my wife and I, we read the Bible, and she said that she felt personally attacked by the book of Proverbs. <laughs> I get that. Proverbs 31. Triggered. <laughs> and as I alluded to earlier, I feel the very same way about this letter from Screwtape. Hmm. It's very personal. And I actually think it was probably true for Lewis as well. I can imagine what he often felt like living in the kilns, trying to get work done with Mrs. Moore and a bunch of young children, evacuees from London. <laughs> What's interesting is Screwtape says that the patient isn't irritable in these situations because he's unloving or lazy. It's just that he regarded something that was his own being stolen from him this time. Mm -hmm. And he tells Wormwood that they really must defend and guard this misconception. Screwtape says, let him have the feeling that he starts each day as the lawful possessor of 24 hours. Let him feel as a grievous tax that portion of property which he has to make over to his employers, and as a generous donation, that further portion which he allows to religious duties. <laughs> Screwtape wants the patient to think that the time during the day is his own, and, as Screwtape says, in some mysterious sense, his own personal birthright. Mm. To quote a common phrase in the East, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. <laughs> This is me. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, this is probably my favorite part of the letter, this particular section, because when I shared at the beginning that I say that poverty of time is the hardest part about being a monastic, I, I really mean that. But at the same time, it's in a sense, the greatest gift, maybe, well, not the greatest gift, but it's a very great gift because I, I was just talking to someone about this recently. And I, I talked about it on the episode I did on our podcast about this, but there's, when you're a monastic, you learn very quickly that you don't have possession of time. You, you we have a, a strict schedule that we're to keep to. And even within that strict schedule, like we might have an hour of quote unquote free time. And in that hour, we might make plans to talk to someone or to write a letter. And 
then a guest shows up at the door and we are asked to give hospitality to this guest or mother says, hey, I need you to do this thing during free time today. And that's now God's will for us. That's God's will for that time. And so you learn very quickly in the monastery that you don't possess time and that it's not your own. And the reason I say that this is a gift is because this is true of everybody. <laughs> As Screwtape is, is pointing out, he doesn't want the patient to see. This is true of everybody. Nobody possesses their own time. But when you're in the world, it's much easier to trick yourself into thinking that you have your own time. Um, whereas you just can't be fooled into thinking that uh, for very long at the mm -hmm. monastery. And so it's like, it's, it's a truth that we all need to learn and be exposed to. And we're just exposed, exposed to that much more quickly at the, in the monastery, which makes sense because, because in the monastery, we're theoretically living the aspects of the Christian life more intensely. But at the same time, St. John Paul II says in his, in his, um, in Orientale Lumen, Light of the East, that monastics are called to be a reference point for all baptized Christians. And so in this as well, we're called to be a reference point to people <laughs> to, of, of your time is not quote unquote your time. I'm, I'm with you in the super convicted part of this, David, <laughs> because it's like that one hour a day, I wake up thinking, okay, this afternoon, I'm finally going to finish that letter or I'm finally going to whatever. And the interior like response to the doorbell ringing at <laughs> four o'clock instead of three o'clock is wildly different because I'm like, but this was mine. <laughs> and then suddenly it's not. Um, so I have taped up on my mirror this quote from a Cistercian in, I don't know, one of those European monasteries I can't pronounce. And he says, the monk agrees to lose all his time for God. And that reminds me like, no, this is literally the, the agreement. And if we're the touchstone or the, or the model for all of the baptized, like by entering into relationship with the Trinity, we are literally agreeing to lose all or everything for him. Mm -hmm. um, time just is like that place of control. And so that's the place of like great struggle. <laughs> I really like that quotation. And I like the idea of posting that on your mirror so you see it every day. What suggestions would you have for people who don't live in monasteries to understand this truth more clearly? Change the quote. The Christian, <laughs> the Christian agrees to lose all his time for God. <laughs> yeah, I like that a lot. I, I like that um, something else that I've been talking with a friend about recently is, is obedience, which another quote that we have written on another mirror, which I think is from a Michael O'Brien. It is. It's, it's yeah. from Father Elijah. Um, is, oh man, remember everyone read Father Elijah. Yeah, yeah it's the, the quote is, remember that obedience is the great fast. Um, so I'm talking with a friend recently about obedience. I promise this applies. Bear with me, David. And um, the what we were talking about is how do you practice obedience in a case in which you don't necessarily have a religious superior or in, or in the case of you're, you don't have a spiritual director, or if you do, the director is not really giving you strict obediences or things like that, then, then how do you practice obedience as a Christian? Because again, we're all called to live obedience as Christians. And one of the things that he had read recently in a book by Father Jacques Philippe that I thought was very good is that we can be practicing obedience by being obedient to the situation, the, the circumstances in which we find ourselves, which is very Father Walter Chiswick, if you're familiar with him. But, but it's like in accepting 
the circumstance in which we are and in accepting the experience in which we're in, we're being obedient to the the reality that God is giving us. And so, so yeah, I think by accepting those daily interruptions as a Christian, um, as a lay person, you're, you're being obedient and, and you're practicing that. So this is like the asceticism of moderation. Like we don't need to go add penances. We need to accept the interruptions and the inconveniences and the suffering that the father is permitting in our lives are actually what we need mm-hmm. um, to purify our souls. So like you're asking like what advice as we're approaching Lent, something that I, I've been thinking, but I think it applies to a lay person is, um, okay, so we're supposed to be giving alms. But what if my alms is my attitude when I help my sister who comes into the room and needs something unexpected? What if my alms is staying on the phone longer um, with the person who calls? What if your alms is not scolding your child when they spill that, even though you told them they were going to spill it? <laughs> um, what, like, what if those were our, our alms? Because like when we're griping and we're complaining, that's us asserting our right for it to not be this way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, that that hurts me Uh, (laughs) because I think I'm generally quite good at doing the right thing, but either externally or at least internally, I'm grumbling all the way, building lists of all the things I would rather be doing. Now, it's at these times like this that I've really got to stop doing that and stop listening to what Screwtape's trying to do because Screwtape has some advice from Wormwood on fostering this. He says, the assumption that you want the patient to go on making is so absurd that if at once it is questioned, even we cannot find a shred of argument in its defense. He's saying that the assumption that I make when I'm grumbling, when I get interrupted, is ridiculous. The idea that this time is mine. And he says, even even fallen angels with their intellect don't stand a chance at defending that argument. He says, The man can neither make nor attain one moment of time. It all comes to him by pure gift. He might as well regard the sun and moon as his private property. And Screwtape then starts talking about the complication in this matter because the patient is a Christian. And he says that if God actually appeared to the patient and asked him for a day's service, the patient isn't going to refuse God, not at all. And he would actually be relieved if all he had to do was listen for a little while to somebody, somebody foolish talking for, for an age. And he said he'd even be a bit disappointed if God gave him you know, half an hour or an hour back just to amuse himself. That's how the Christian would respond in the abstract if God appeared to him and asked for his time. But Screwtape points out this is ridiculous because this is the position that the patient is in every day. This is a position the Christian is in every day. God is asking for his time to put him first. We're in the middle of our pre-Lenten period. We have like lead up Sundays. And so our gospel on Sunday was the Matthew 25 gospel. Whatever you do to the least of these, you do unto me. Like, when, Lord, did I see you sick? When did I see you all of these things? And that's that's the, the mystery of like, we have this hidden God. He hides in my really annoying neighbor. He hides in my overbearing boss. He hides in my sister that I just can't seem to get to stop doing that thing, whatever it is. You could just tell me what it is, (laughs) Sister Petra. You don't have to be so passive aggressive. Um, And so that's that. There's something of that incarnational mystery mixed into that struggle. Like we're, we're like struggling against the concrete. We don't want it to be this 
fleshy thing. In um, Graham Greene's novel, The End of the Affair, she says something like, um, in um, Sarah's diary, she says something like, um, if if I could bear with, like, if I could really love you, then I could love Henry with his astigmatism and Richard with his spots, but I want the dramatic always. And that's just a tactic. Like if, if the dramatic Lord came down and said, I want you to do this, we would say absolutely no questions asked and proceed forward with great joy and probably a lot of self-satisfaction, but to rob us from the, of the self-satisfaction instead, he's asking us in these very mundane ways to really test and honestly, like I'm failing the test a lot of the time mm-hmm. and, and thank God for the like recognition that I'm failing the test a lot of the time. Um, Cause that's where the repentance comes in. Yeah. I'm reminded of, was it Naaman, the, the foreigner who came into Israel cause he had leprosy and he's told to go and wash a few times in the Jordan and he doesn't want to do it. And his servant points out, listen, if the prophet had asked you to do something difficult, mm. you'd have been all over it. <laughs> but he's just asking you to do this very simple thing. And suddenly you're too big for that. We are crazy. <laughs> Drama appeals to our pride. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, it's, it's the, you know, I've heard it often said that sometimes it seems there are a lot more people who are willing to die for Christ than there are who are willing to live for Christ. <laughs> and, and to do this, like to have this, this big dramatic, martyrdom i know this is for the lord um it's it's can in a sense be easier at least in an abstract way to live out than um he's asking me to wash my sister's dish because she left it in the sink that was not passive aggressive i'm not talking about you um Now, Screwtape began his series of letters all the way back in chapter one by saying that the devils do their best work at not putting things into our heads, but keeping things out. And I think this is another one of the great examples of that, because Screwtape even says, your task here, Wormwood, is purely negative. Don't let these thoughts come anywhere near his assumption. Wrap a darkness about it, and in the center of that darkness, let his sense of ownership in time lit silent, uninspected and operative. Mm. Screwtape doesn't want him to think clearly about how ridiculous he's being when he's demanding stuff, and in this case, demanding all of his time. Elsewhere, I think it's in Mere Christianity, Lewis says that we often treat God like our taxes. We basically want to check in once a year, like the government, give them their cut of, of our stuff, and then just hope that we're then left alone for the rest of the year to do what we want with what's left over. <laughs> And as you say, that, that doesn't work. It, everything, everything is his. Hmm. How do you think we can push back on Screwtape here? How can we make ourselves more aware that everything comes to us as a gift? I think sometimes it's helpful, at least it, it was helpful for me in, in reading and praying with this letter to, to try to think of analogous situations to the ones that we're in and to think, would I apply this same logic if it was, if it was this similar situation? And the reason I thought of that with this particular letter is because, because we all like what I'm, what I'm preaching about time and not owning time and it being God's time. I'm preaching this because it's something that I'm discovering every single day. Like I said, it's such a struggle for me. How do you think we can fight back against Screwtape here? How can we make sure that we don't succumb to this very strange assumption that we own all of, the th- all of our things and we own all of our time. 
I mean, Screwtape even points out that both heaven and hell find this quite ridiculous. The difference is, is that hell wants us to keep talking like that, whereas heaven wants us to see the light and view everything as a gift. How do we do that? How do we encourage that in ourselves? One, one thought that comes to me is that it might be helpful to think about we're all created with equal dignity, right? We're all created in the image of God. Mm -hmm. And so to, to ask ourselves the question of, do I believe this other person has the same quote unquote right to time as I do? Because then it's like, if someone is coming to me and, and they need help or they, they need suddenly my free time or, or mother is asking something of me during free time, like, am, am I more of a human being than her? Do I own this time in a way that she doesn't? I don't, I don't know. That's, that's one helpful thing, I think, is just to, to, to try to realize if we're actually being self-focused and trying to apply things to ourselves above others. My first thought was, like, change or conversion is always starting in prayer. And the Lord takes our prayers very seriously, um, even when I'm sure he's like, oh, they don't have a clue what they're saying. But the, what's that quote from that hideous strength, the courtesy of deep heaven, that when we mean well, he takes it that we mean better. Um, so I was praying with our profession service on Pustinia a few months ago, reading through all the things we're going to agree to. And when we when we make our life, profession. when we make our life mm -hmm. profession. And I was really like, OK, poverty huh, I could do better at that. Not thinking of like tangible material poverty, but things like this. And so I prayed and I was like, Lord, I really want to live poverty well, mm. but I also don't want, I, I know myself and I'm going to like self-sufficiently run ahead and decide how, how I'm going to do this, right? I'm going to like go through my cell and get rid of all the essentials. And I'm just like, no, I know that's all me. So father, I'm telling you what I want. I, I want to be surrendered to you here. Mm. I come out of Pustinia and we have a guest and I get in this conversation with him and the Lord's like, give him, give him that icon of Trace of Benedicta you have. And I was like, but, but Father Patrick gave that to me. It's from Poland. Uh-huh. <laughs> give, give it to him. Okay. Well, I did. And I, I had great joy in that. Um, the next day we had another visitor, another conversation about Mary of Egypt. Give him the Mary of Egypt icon that you took to the Holy Land. Well, couldn't I give her the one I painted? Because I took that one to the Holy Land. <laughs> no, you're attached to the little one that's not worth anything. Give her that one. Oh, okay. Um, and in both of these instances, I, I had joy be because it was obedience, right? But it was the prayer of, Lord, I actually want to be detached. I want to know that this isn't mine. And so I would really encourage, if we want to grow in this, the place to start is prayer, like, Father, I want to know that everything is a gift. Mm. Open my eyes. Open my eyes to my failure and open my eyes to the, the instant when you're giving me an invitation to act in the full dignity and freedom of my humanity, which receives everything as gift because we like degrade everything, time, people, things, when we like clutch onto them in this vice grip of possession and control. Mm. That's a really good point. And I also can't help but notice what a beautiful icon of the Trinity by Rublev you have behind you both. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Sister Petra was saying when we when we set this up, she was like, oh, if we set it. It's okay. You can hang on to that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't get it. She <laughs>, laughs last. Now, Screwtape applies this idea of possessiveness 
in a way that I hadn't really thought of before I first read this letter. And it's in terms of chastity. He began the letter by speaking about how Wormwood is to be attacking the patient on chastity. And Screwtape says you can actually apply the same mode of logic to unchastity because you can tempt someone much more easily to unchastity if they think of their body as their own. And I think you could also probably take it to some quite dark places in regarding other people's bodies as really your possession. Mm-hmm. And the next section, Screwtape is... I really hate this bit. Because <laughs> he says that this sense of ownership can be fostered not only by pride, but by confusion. And just by the language that we use in everyday, every, everyday life, we talk about my dog, my wife, my father, my God. He says all of these can be squished together and all be made to mean the same thing, that you can refer to my shoes, my boots, and my God in the same sort of sense. And he also gives a, a rather horrible example of a child to think of my teddy bear as really meaning the bear that I can pull to pieces if I want to. We associate ownership or possession with domination. And it, again, like it's our pride, but we're um, to possess that kind of power and we feel so powerless, um, which we are. <laughs> but when we feel that reality creeping near mm-hmm. um, to possess that kind of power is like this dark consolation of the enemy, this like poison to dull the pain of the fact that no, actually there's, there's one choice, surrender or don't, but reality doesn't change. Mm-hmm. Um, as I was reading this section, I was thinking about how Carmelites traditionally live this I was out. Thinking that too. <laughs> they live this out by never using the possessive pronoun my. So they, if you read Therese's letter, she literally says, and I went to our cell, well, years ago, I was like, what the heck? Do they sleep in dormitories? <laughs> no, every person's cell, every nun's cell is, is our cell. Or she brought me our pencil. I opened our book. How do you do that? Practically, we practically we've talked about this. This is just <laughs> utterly impracticable in any, well, we can't do it. Like if I need your ink, it's in your cell, not my cell. But um, yeah, that, that's what I was thinking. Like, so they build this reminder in to the way that they talk about everything yeah but if there's some kind of exercise like that that we could mentally substitute that wouldn't inconvenience everybody around us um and confuse everyone yeah yeah and i yeah i what i was thinking about it especially the the bear i can pull to pieces if i like you're right sister petra that that we can be confused and and see things as like we can think that we have some kind of domination but actually it's very much a, a severe twisting mm-hmm. of the dominion that God gives to Adam. It's like the opposite um, of stewardship. Yes, exactly. Because because with Adam, he he gives him in the garden dominion over these things, but he also um, instructs him to to keep and to till and to tend. And mm-hmm. Adam Adam was was meant to treat all of these gifts with with love and care. He wasn't just given to them to to use or to to be destructive with them and. This is obviously um, something that's so prevalent in our society right now with not only unchastity, but but this. It's like I'm given something not as as a gift to to use for the glory of God and to allow to be a vessel, but I'm 
given it to just do what I want with Mm -hmm. um, and to to dominate. Like Um, sexual violence and abuse of any kind is taking this seemingly, um, I mean, it can seem pretty innocuous, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, But it's taking it to its logical conclusion of removing the giftedness of creation and us as part of creation. Yeah. When you were talking about Carmelites always saying our, (laughs) uh, our cell, our book, it actually reminded me of a transition that I had to make when I got married. (laughs) I started having to refer to a lot of things as our, it's our money now. (laughs) It's our dinner that is getting cold. Uh, (laughs) Now, I, I like that idea of, at the very least, mentally thinking, thinking of things in those terms to remind myself that all of my possessions aren't really my possessions mm. that there's the there's the old i don't know if it's a proverb you would say that we, d- we don't give the world to our children we're just borrowing it from them <laughs> well in the same way everything that i have i'm really just borrowing it from the people that i'm ultimately going to give it to mm-hmm. well and what if we could actually integrate that consciousness into our approach to like our gifts and our vocation like they're they're not ours they're for the church Mm -hmm. you know like they're not my personally my vocation isn't actually primarily even about my happiness it's about the needs of the church um it's like the sanctification of an individual like the sanctification of you and your wife in marriage isn't merely for the two of you and your children it's for the church being built up in this um and so I don't know. It might be helpful. I'm going to have to pray about that. It might be helpful to connect in some concrete way, these little struggles with like those that we love who are suffering. Like if we can, if we can die well here, if we can be ordered here, then grace goes out somehow. Hmm. Yeah. And I, I think it applies. I was thinking of this as you're talking about your vocation our okay <laughs> I mean, it just doesn't i don't know how they did it i don't know how they did it I'm in day-to-day life like how do you anyways okay um that's fine the um your vocation being a gift not it's not just for you it's not even just for a monastery it's mm-hmm. for the world and and it's the same thing i think about all of the gifts we're given it's time is a gift it's not for us to possess our body's a gift it's not for us to possess Um, Our vocation is a gift. It's not for us to possess, but also, um, which is why it's so painful when people try to force a particular vocation, I think, because they're trying to, to take something which is not being given to them. But also our gifts are, well, I'm using the word gift a lot. Our skills, our talents, these are a gift. And that is so often not recognized. And it's why we all struggle. Oh man, I... I'm probably the most prideful person I've ever met, but um, we don't believe this you. is. <laughs> dude, let's not get into an argument about who's more prideful. Um, so, but anyways, seriously, pride comes up in every single spiritual direction, and it's not pretty. But you're doing that with Father Michael. That's understandable. <laughs> um, but when when someone tells me um context father michael is the one with whom i have the podcast he's my my spiritual father but um it's it's a real sign of my pride that when someone i think of him as more of a spiritual uncle (laughs) when someone compliments me on a talent 
I try to deny it. And that's a sign of pride. Like when you when you meet the the people who are really humble um, and you compliment them on something, they'll say, um, you know, something like, yes, it turned out very well, didn't it? Yeah, ex- exactly. And and it's not even just the well, don't thank me, thank God, because that also happens. And um, that was a gag face for those who can't see. <laughs> I wasn't going to mention that. But um, anyways, there's just something about also recognizing that we don't possess our talents and that even those are gift. I think what I'm getting out of this is that gratitude could also be a very powerful weapon in pushing back on this idea. Mm. So to regularly say thank you for a regular part of your prayers, to be thanking God for the body with which you got to go to the gym today, the, the tasteless salad that you got to eat uh, when other people go without. To foster that gratitude means that you're not going to take these things for granted because it reminds you that you're not guaranteed any of them. Well, it's interesting you say that. Of, I don't know, sometime last year, my spiritual mother had me add to my exam and at night. Um, I was supposed to thank the father for something about myself that I rejected that day, hated, like a failure, a weakness, something like that. I was supposed to thank God for those things. And she's like, you're going to feel like you're lying through your teeth at first. That's okay. Just just start. Okay, so obedience. I start praying this. <laughs> but actually, it changed the way I was interacting throughout the day with myself. I mean, at first, it was just like, oh, it's 10 o'clock and I already have the thing I failed at to thank the Lord for today. Great. <laughs> um, and, but it really became slowly over months of thanking the Lord for these things, seeing even the things that I would reject as a gift and him opening my eyes to see he's giving me this weakness or whatever it is to make me lean on him to give himself to me because of these failures yeah that he doesn't seem like that but (laughs) um so what if the gratitude doesn't just start for oh these good things what if the gratitude is thank you for these really hard things how could that change us over Mm over a long time because that's when we really know we're not in control like I don't know sometimes I can feel satisfied when I'm thinking him for oh the snow so pretty and so and so was here and we had this conversation at dinner and oh that's all really nice but that's just kind of sometimes more about my feelings like I'm not saying there's no real gratitude there but the gratitude that's humbled gratitude is like thank you that so and so needed this from me And I had to set aside everything. And thank you that I didn't want to, because now I can at least repent for that. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Well, I think that actually takes us in very nicely to the end of this letter, because Screwtape writes, they will find out in the end, never fear, to whom their time, their souls, and their bodies really belong. Certainly not to them, whatever happens. At present, the enemy says mine of everything on the pedantic, legalistic ground that he made it. Our father hopes in the end to say mine of all the things on the more realistic and dynamic ground of conquest. Ugh. (laughs) I see your ugh and raise you an ugh. (laughs) But that also seems like a good transition into unscrewing screw tape. So screw tape offers us reality upside down, back to front, the twisted demonic point of view. So in each episode, we like to try and untwist it and come up with a few simple do's and don'ts looking at this letter. So from this letter, what advice would you give people to do and not to do? Well, I think the the do, a couple of the ones that we already mentioned is 
pray. Um, prayer is always the first answer, but, but pray for a self-knowledge and for God to, to illuminate for you the places in your mind and in your soul that are dark, because that's just such a powerful tool of the devil that need not be powerful. Um, it's, I say it's powerful, but, but Christ conquers all and he can defeat that in a, in a second by just shedding light on it. But you have to pray for that and not try to see it yourself because when we try to see it ourselves, it's just dangerous and we're dialoguing with the devil and we just get sucked into it instead of actually seeing clearly. I, I really have been praying a lot recently with the story of Bartimaeus when God asks him what he wants him to do. And he says, I want to see. And, and that's a prayer that's really become mine of, of Lord, I want to see, but I want to see with his eyes <laughs> and, and not with my own. So that would be the first thing for me is um, pray for God to, to enlighten you um, so that you can see things more clearly as is the reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was thinking that prayer for self-awareness too. And try the gratitude for the hard things. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, it has to be really honest. Sometimes, like, it does feel like you're lying to God through your teeth. (laughs) But then asking him, okay, what in this moment do you want me to receive from you? Which often the answer is just, well, I won't actually, I won't put words in his mouth. We'll see what he tells you. (laughs) It's just like, if that's your desire, tell the Lord your desire. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I want to. I want to know that everything's a gift. He will take care of it. We don't really have to figure out how to do that. If we mean that prayer, he will do that. He will teach us. So, and and we can trust in it because in Romans eight, Saint Paul tells us that that God works all things for good for those who love Him. Um, our weaknesses as well as what we see as strengths. I do like that, and it kind of puts me to shame because I'm always trying to think about what I can do. <laughs> oh, yes. I, I love the far simpler. Just tell God, hey, I, I really want to get better at this. Please help me. <laughs> you won't like the way he does it. <laughs> I very rarely do. <laughs> and to somewhat undo what I just said, these were the ones that I wrote down for unscrewing screw tape. Do not regard anything as truly your own. Do remember that you received everything in life as a gift. Do remember it's not about you. And do regard your time as entirely devoted to God in which you get to perform the necessary duties of the day. That part could just like be written on a planner. Like (laughs) all of your time is not your own. I could like write that at the top of every week. (laughs) Surely there's another mirror in the monastery that we can put I love it. I love it. Well, where can people go to find out more about the monastic life in general and yours in particular? Well, maybe I'll leave monastic life in general to Sister Petra, but I'm going to give you a second to think about it (laughs) while I talk about our monastery. But actually, so this is this is something that I've recommended for reading to people from from our own podcast that some people have really taken me up on it and um, and have given some some really positive feedback. But on our website, ChristTheBridegroom.org, our monastery's website, there's a link to our Tipicon our rule of life. And I mean, it's not, it's not just, it's not just like bylaws that you would normally read or something like that. When I, when I read this, our rule of life on my, my observership, which is one of the stages of discernment, my heart was burning as I read it. I mean, it is so beautiful. It's, it really, I think gives you an insight into our monastic community, but I've also had listeners who have written me to say that they've read our Tipicon and they're, they're 
praying about ways to live it out in their life as lay people and as, as married people. And it's been very beautiful. I can recommend things generally about monasticism <laughs> if you... I mean, all I can really think of, like, if, if you're looking at Eastern monasticism, I mean, you can go back to, like, St. Basil, but a lot of the fathers, St. John Cashin, the Cenobitic fathers, mm-hmm. not the solitary fathers out in the desert. Uh, I mean, you can read them, but they won't really teach you about monasticism. Yeah. Um, but if they're interested in Western monasticism, um, that quote that I said about a monk Greece lose all his time for God is from a Nicholas Dia book called A Time to Die, Monks on the Threshold of Eternity. And he's just interviewing monks as they're dying. What what abbey are they from? All the ones I can't pronounce. You're so <laughs> <laughs> um, but I highly recommend that. It's it's a pretty quick read. It's under 200 pages, probably 150. But mm. St. Basil is who I was going to recommend. The The rule of St. Basil is very much a, um, it was put together as just a bunch of his disciples asked him questions and then it was put together. So it's a and a sort of thing. And um, one of my, one of my favorite responses is someone asks him, what is better, the, the life in community or the solitary life? And part of his answer is that community life is, he thinks, the better way to live because if you don't live in community, whose feet will you wash? I love that part. Well, everyone, check the show notes. I'll put links to all of those resources that were referenced. Great. Sisters, thank you so much for coming on the show. And we also want to thank all of our top-tier supporters, Jake, Stephen, Matt, Jeff, Chris, John, James, Kate, and Rowdy. And we began today's episode with Veruca Salt parroting Screwtape's lies, so I suppose it's only appropriate that we end with the Oompa Loompa's response to her demands. Oompa Loompa Dumpati Da If you're not spoiled then you'll go far You'll live in happiness too Like the Oompa Loompa Dumpati Do <laughs> And for more fine wisdom such as that please join us again next time When we'll be going further up and further in Cheers Cheers, Cheers.